0: God bless everyone. They're here today uh, for our adventure. And today, believe me, will be very, very interesting. We are going to uh, do a subject called The Whisper of Satan. So fasten your seatbelts. Prepare your brain by following advice of the Bible, which says, Girt Up Your Minds. Gird up your minds as we get into this uh, absolutely, uh, what shall I say, far out, <laughs> far out subjects. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start uh, with a little bit of forensic type of information, but we're going to start in the uh, book of Isaiah chapter 29. So turn in your Bibles because I'll be there for a while. We'll be in the book of Revel of uh, uh, Isaiah, chapter twenty-nine. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. So we're going to notice some things here, and I'm going to be teaching you a little bit about. Uh, How to be a detective, a forensic detective. (coughs) Chapter 29, verse 1. Woe to Ariel. To Ariel. Now, we'll stop right there. The subject starts off with a a warning, which is woe. And then we have a name here, spelled A-R-I-E-L. And we have to take note that at the end of the name is El, which means God or gods. And it can be divine gods, or it can be, you know, uh, anti-divine gods. Now we have to take note that Ariel is repeated twice. So we could say... Well, it's probably a transcribed uh, error. And that's not nice to say something like that. And I'm certainly not interested in taking that choice. But someone might say that. Or someone might say uh, the writer is trying to accentuate the name. And that's possible, but it's interesting and not quite in balance to accentuate the name before a description of the name has really been gotten into if I was to to do the punctuation thing i would be I would be saying the city where David dwelt the name of that city was." Ariel, yes, Ariel. But this is different than that. This is almost like a code. It's almost like something profound. It's almost like a parallel that it is saying there are two Ariel's. Woe to Ariel number one, Woe to Ariel, number two. Now, let's see if that's possible because everything has to be proven by the context. We want to see if we have it contextually. The city where David dwelt. Now, David, he was in one of the Zions, usually spelled with a Z or Z. Depending whether you're, you know, speaking Canadian or United States uh, spelling, and he was into the the Zion with the with the Z um, that was near Jerusalem. So he did dwell there a lot, but we cannot say that he was not at Mount. Herman, which is also one of the Zions. We're calling the number one Zion. And as we look at this, in verse, or let's finish it in verse one, it says, add ye year to year, and let them kill sacrifices. That can be considered two different ways. One of the things that we know about Mount Hermon is it has three main peaks. And then the Golan Heights are actually an extended part of the Mount Hermon cluster of mountains. And we know that they have found places where Baal and, and other uh, you know, false types of gods... Have set up have been set up by humans uh, for sacrifices and and worship, and we also know that there are places that of worship for people that believed in the divine God. We also know that Jesus Christ took John, James, and Peter, and he met with uh, Moses, and he met with um, you know with angels there and he met with elijah there so it's quite a spot it's quite a place now when we talk about some of the references in the new testament to a high mountain that jesus went up to a high mountain we know it's not the zion by jerusalem because that is only you know 2 to 3000 feet high and we are talking quite a difference when we are talking about mount zion the Zion of Mount Hermon. It is many times that. So, let them year by year tell their sacrifices. Let them go on with their sacrifices from year to year. This revelation is a progressive revelation. It's not going to be something said and then it all ends in a day or two, or a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two. It's a continuum. And let people go on with how they're worshiping. They will each one have to find out whether they're in the mode that is the right mode or not. Whether they're serving the right God or not. Let that go on. Then in verse 2 he says, Yet, which is equal to, nevertheless, I will distress, Ariel, or Iriel, however you like to say it. I will distress, Ariel, and there shall be heaviness, and sorrow, and it shall be unto me, as, Ariel, Now, here you got a substantiation of the two Ariels. There will be a distress against one of the Ariels. We'll call that, let's say, Ariel number two, which is the one, the small uh, Zion, spelled with a Z, by Jerusalem. That's going to be stressed. That's going to have a lot of heaviness and sorrow there. But even though it is that particular Ariel. It will be unto God, as though it were the other Ariel. Number one, the Zion which is Mount Hermon. Now, we want to verify everything that we're saying if we if we can have the time to do it. So, if we look at Deuteronomy four, verse forty-eight. Deuteronomy four verse forty eight. Then we have the proof. We have the forensic proof by scripture, and this says from Aror, which is very similar to the name we've been talking about, which is by the bank of the river Arnon even unto Mount Zion, S-I-O-N, which is Hermon. Zion, which is Hermon. Now, this is way back in the days of the people that were making these discoveries and living in that land, and, and uh, you know this is a Moses uh, insert here. Now, we've got biblical proof that what we're talking about when we say Mount Zion is Hermon. There's your scripture right there. Now, for you that didn't quite get it, it's Deuteronomy, D E U T E R O N O M Y, chapter 4, verse 48. And if you missed some of this information, remember these teachings are recorded, and you can come back to the archives and replay them. All right. Now we've established that. So now we, we can, it wouldn't really take you very much to establish that there was a Zion by, uh, which is a small mountain. Uh, you, you can discover this in the Bible. You can go on the Internet, however you want to do it, uh, and show you the Z-I-O-N uh, near Jerusalem. Now we have two Zions. Also, I think I shared with this in the past That sometimes both of the spellings are used interchangeably. And they can mean either the one or the other. I would also like to say, and this is an important thing to make a mental note of, that the Zion, Z-I-O-N, or Z-I-O-N, in Jerusalem is a proxy for the Zion, S-I-O-N, which is Mount Hermon. Let me say that again. Zion, Z-I-O-N, in Jerusalem area is a proxy for the Zion, S-I-O-N, which is Mount Hermon. Keep that in mind. So we were for a little bit then, we'll leave <coughs> the area of Isaiah and we will go to um ...to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12... ...because there's something interesting there... ...important and interesting to share. (coughs) So we look at Hebrews 12 and we start... um, ...in verse um, 22. In fact, let's start with verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount... ...that might be touched that burned with fire, nor unto the blackness and the darkness and the tempest. And this is like, you know, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. You've not come into those mountains. Nineteen. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, which voice they heard in, in entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. This is all part of what You are not coming to. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and tremble. But you you are not come to that mountain. But in verse 22 it says, But you are come unto Mount Zion. S-I-O-N and into the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. Now we're going to read that verse again but let's get this now. There is a parallel world here. We have a physical Israel and we have a heavenly is. Israel uh, pardon me We do have a a physical Israel and a spiritual Israel. That's true. But that's not what I want to accentuate. We have a physical Jerusalem. And we have a spiritual or heavenly Jerusalem. So we've got these parallels that started at the very beginning of chapter 29 of Isaiah, verse 1. And they're contextually in various other places in the Bible, especially on the subject. Now let's read that again, because here's what you are coming to if you're into the Revelation. We're in in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, S-I-O-N, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. I hope that I need not accentuate the importance of these words I just read. Because if you are interested in being spiritual, if you are interested in digging in to a deeper revelation, if if you are interested in any way of pronounce, getting pr- uh, pronounced your insight and your depth of understanding, then you need to concentrate on what this This Bible says here in Hebrew, and the message I'm preaching on today, because this is going to jerk your cords. This is going to spin your mind. This is going to excite the atoms in your body. This is going to modulate your thinking. This is no minor subject. This doesn't belong to anything associated with mediocrity. And so, here we go. Let's read it again, verse 22. Hebrews, chapter 12. But you are come unto Mount Zion. Is Mount Zion important, which we have shown and proved forensically and biblically, that it is Mount Hermon? Yes, it is. Why is it so important? Because, listen to what it says. You are coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now, those angels are there for a reason. They're keeping some kind of a balance because that is a sacred spot. They're invisible. You can't see them. People aren't, looking and seeing them, except as their eyes are open to be able to see. And we'll get into a case uh, of the Bible in which when people's eyes are open and closed, there's a difference of whether you can see or not see these spiritual things that are actual and even literal. And so just as much as you cannot see the angels, you cannot see that there is a city of of the living God and we're going to show you how that, that city of the living God is presented. And when you, you see this and hear this, there's going to be some multiple jubilees start dancing inside of your spirit and, and soul spirit. Praise be to God. Yes, the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable host of angels, it's all involved in the general assembly of the church and the firstborn, which are written in heaven. It is an important place because it really represents some something awesome. All right, I think I think I think we covered that subject. I think we can go back. Now to, uh, to the book of Isaiah. And we're beginning to get the picture. We're beginning to see this duality, this parallel that exists. Verse 3, And I will camp against thee. And he's talking about the, what is causing the distress and the heav- heaviness. When we first read about it in verse 2, it's almost like some kind of human emotion that a, whole, that a whole crowd of city people have. But when we get into the third verse, that distress and that sorrow and heaviness is personified. And the Lord reveals that personification by saying, I will camp against thee. And he makes those discomforting, distressful things to take on a personification, a person. I will camp against thee around about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount. And I will raise forts against thee. Obviously we're talking about a war. Now, it's very, very interesting that these three peaks that are on Mount Hermon, that there is revelation in the Holy Manifest that teaches that there is a camp of of demons and satanic figures that have set up a perimeter in which they are in charge of maintaining as a footing and that also as we see by these scriptures that God has his representations there. So there is a state in which There's a kind of deadlock between these two forces as they're waiting out for the year-by-year sacrifices of the different people to the different gods to flow in the continuum. Wow, what a whole load of information coming out of just a simple personification. But you don't make a siege, verse 3 of chapter 39. You don't come against that force that you're using the siege with a mount, which means the other mount. Because we're already talking by the name Zion, which means Hermon as one of the two Arael's, And you don't raise up forks against the other mount, unless there is a state of challenge and war that is going on in the angel world, between opposite forces. Then here's a prophecy speaking against that personification. And thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground. And thy speech shall be low out of the dust. And thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit. Out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper, Out of the dust. As you know, the title of this teaching is The Whisper of Satan. Now here is the amazing, absolutely puzzling, profound, provocative, and exceptional revelation. Thou shalt be brought down does it mean, if you put it into all the translations, the, the translation is totally possible and correct. Except to mean that there is circumstances of the challenge that is going to cause Lucifer Satan to make his move. And in making this move, he is going to do something that in all the annals of the of, of the scriptures there is nothing anywhere else that describes the extent of what this verse and chapter 2 that he is going to send his energy his spirit his charge into the ground In a copy of what Jesus did, when Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross and said, This day wilt thou be with me in paradise. And in the teachings of the Holy Manifest, we teach that that was upper Hades. Which is a hell, but it's called paradise because it's upper Hades instead of lower Hades. But it's still a death camp. And the Bible talks about that in in the book of Peter. I'm going to read that to you because it is so important for us not to miss any parts of this incredible revelation. I don't want you to miss this, and I want you to understand it. And I want to talk slow enough, clear enough, yet emphatic enough, For you to be turned on to this, so that by no possibility do you miss the emphaticness of this awesome, absolutely incredible revelation. In the third chapter of 1 Peter, it talks about, in verse 18, how his spirit was quickened. And according to being quickened by the Spirit, verse 19, by that episode by which, that episode by which also he went, so he means also in addition to being quickened from any death in his flesh, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now hang and hold on this, ladies and gentlemen. Get this. Jesus had to go down into the depths. It wasn't lower Hades, but it was upper Hades, and it was still into the depths. And he went there and he set spirits free. And he loosened them from the prison that they were in. Now there is a strange thing in the angel kingdom and in the kingdoms of of the principalities of light and the principalities of darkness. And what that strange thing is, is that there is a balance of good and evil. And if you open one door, it allows the opposite door to be opened. Because there's a, this is a parallel world that we live in. And electricity that causes you to be able to turn on your lights in, the home, in your homes and business. has to use both negative and positive charges in order to create electricity. And so, Jesus, as an archangel, in an archangel ministry, opened the door. There's nothing else quite like that. We know that The familiar uh, uh, spirit woman in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 28.8, brought up the spirit of the great prophet Samuel. But there is no comparison. That is not the same thing. The action is not the same. No, there was never anything like this before, what Jesus did. Now, Satan, Lucifer Satan, is not stupid. Call him stupid if you want to, but he's not stupid. You will be absolutely preaching against the Bible. For the Bible makes it clear, using the metaphor of Tyrus, that he's one of the wisest, most brilliant persons that is alive, that has ever lived. He has a mastermind. And he has had a secret. And this secret has been kept. It's been like the whisper of Satan. And there's been a plan. And the prophet Isaiah, who who has been credited by words of Jesus Christ, even, in the New Testament, For being able to see his day, as Abraham also saw his day. In fact, especially when we're talking about Isaiah, when Israel was fighting against the Syrian kingdom, the Syrian king one time said, Why is it that every ambush that we make gets found out about by the, by the Israel army. Tell me who it is among us that is betraying us. And they said, Dear Sir, King, Your Honor, Your Majesty, it is none of your people that are betraying you. But there is a prophet in Israel Elisha by name, who is telling all the secrets that you are whispering in your bedchambers. And every plan that you make, he's revealing it. Well, you see, Isaiah was like that. Isaiah knew these things and could prophesy these things, just like Elisha was known. And I'll I'll talk a little bit more, if I have time, about this Elisha event that happened as a result of that. But let's keep on with this story. So, the whisper of Satan has been in the plan, the secret plan of Satan for a long time. And that plan was hang and hold to go down into the depths of hell and break loose the people, resurrect the people, the spirits. That were in hell and set them free. And so when he spoke with this whisper into the dust. He spoke as one that had a familiar spirit. As one knowing these people. And he spoke that familiar spirit out of the ground. And his speech was like a whisper out of the dust. Well, what happened? Verse 5. Moreover, the multitude of the strangers shall be like small dust. He spoke it into the dust. Does that remind you of, of Genesis, where God spoke into the dust of the earth and created humans, made bodies for the spirits? Of course it does. He spoke into the dust because he was creating new bodies for these spirits to come and take. He was creating an army right out of hell some of the most brilliant spirits that ever existed. He's bringing them in. And it was a multitude called strangers, which is a word that ties back into the word familiar, which going back into the roots... Is a word that means, come from other persons. He was bringing other persons. That's what's very familiar, because the familiar thing is such a misunderstood word that most of the time that it is used in the Strong's concordance, they don't even give a, a, a reference to it. But there is a reference to some uses of it. In the Hebrews, Strong's Concordance, 178, Obi. But one of the things that it can mean is causing your voice to go out like a ventriloquist. Now, at this at this move, when he made this move, he didn't only open hell. But he decided with his incredible brain and wisdom on a plan that he had come up with to put these wormholes into the alpha age density and create by the method of a penetrating DNA phantom, uh, phantom effect or effect tunnels. Tunnels that would not only allow his communication to go in to the density but would also allow That message to get to any of the entities that would be trapped in there as punctuated dots. And his plan was to loosen Gog from the Alpha Age destiny. And I'm going to tell you that he did do that. He did. And that's why the book of Revelation almost ends with Satan's victory. Almost ends with his victory. Because in the 20th chapter, an 8th verse, with his plot to deceive the nations... <clears throat> which are in the four corners of the, of the earth, Gog and Magog was gathered together, which number is as the sand of the sea. That's like the stars of heaven. That's one of the comparisons they make when they say sand and stars of heavens. This gets back to the dust, the sand, the dust. Ladies and gentlemen, I never heard anything preached like this ever before in my life. But Lucifer, Satan's plan on winning this war, and we're just still in in angel war too. But the whisper of Satan is full of secret data. That's why God is calling, is calling the seers who are in touch with the Holy Spirit to make known as Elisha did. When the Syrian army start moving in the way that it did to come against Israel by finding Elisha, And killing him. Praise God! All right, let's read a little bit of it. A large contingency of of an army of chariots and soldiers from the Syrian king and Syrian army came and compassed the city where Elisha. was. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse 14. Therefore sent he thither, talking about the king of Syria, horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city. And when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host Come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man who was the servant. And he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. These were the angels, multitudes of them, a greater army than anything the Syrians had even thought to put up. And Elisha, as a seer prophet, had an understanding and had the power to access them both in visibility and invisibility to those people that he was dealing with. And the story goes on and you I don't have time to read it, but he leads those people into captivity, but then sets them free. And after that they stay away from Israel for a lot of years. But you could read it. It's chapter six of Second Kings. What intrigue. Nothing artificial here. And I want to say to you this. If you're going to believe the things that I'm telling you, it'll be because you are believing the Bible. But if you have problems believing these supernatural, incredible things that the Bible says happened, then of course you're going to have problems believing me. But if you can't believe the Bible, neither will you be able to believe advanced scientific things that are coming up the road. So you really need to gird up your mind and start cranking up your thoughts. Sharpening your eyes because incredible things are coming. They're coming up the road. So now we've got this revelation of the whisper of Satan and his plan to open up hell and to put those people in the the bodies and his plan to penetrate the Alpha. And his mission project is a well-known book of Revelations revelation about the star wormwood being cast into the ocean, into the waters, the effect of Gog and Magog is going to be something absolutely incredible. We are talking about a real force of principalities here. Gog was one of the most powerful forces ever created by God. Created prior to the universes in the the Alpha Ages. And that's all going to come to bear with one of the greatest wars that are angelic wars of principalities and powers, and also including multitudes of the entities from past worlds, And this present world. Wow. This is exciting. It could almost be said to be scary. It is not minor. It's the wormwood... The star wormwood that was described that falls into the the ocean of the people on earth and begins to do its work for Lucifer. And that's a whole teaching in itself that someday maybe I'll be able to do. But I want to keep this thing going. I want to keep it going. Well, what's so important about this mountain? Mount Zion. Look at Revelations 14, beginning with verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a Lamb stood on the Mount Zion, S-I-O-N, Hermon, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand. Now we know that there were twelve thousand of each of the twelve tribes that were sealed. And when you take twelve times... 12,000, you get 144,000. And when you look in the book of Revelations and you read, where it talks about the the measurements of the city of Jerusalem, that 144,000 comes up as the wall of fire, so to speak, around the city. And it represents the people. It represents not just Jews, because... And I preach that to you. But what the Jews symbolize for a spiritual Israel and a spiritual Jerusalem. And the Lamb is on the mount. On the mount of Zion. But the devil's up there too. And we know by the Bible that when Jesus went up to the, to the mount which was called the Mount of Temptation. Jesus was there, and Satan was there. Even when he went up to a pinnacle, Jesus was there, and Satan was there. And these 144,000, having the Father's name written in their foreheads, chapter 14 of Revelations, verse 1, is telling you that these people are up there with him on the mount. And that's what it said in the twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews that I read to you, that Jerusalem, the, whole, the whole, heavenly Jerusalem, and the church of the firstborn, they were there. And that's what it says in Revelations 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Now ladies and gentlemen, no one can open the seals of that book, the Bible says, but Jesus. And no one can learn that song of the hundred and forty-four thousand. But Jesus knows it. And that's why the teaching of the Holy Manifest of trans-assimilation, taking on the life that Jesus lived inside of us, not mocking His style or or trying to copy His style, but that love, that call, that administration of destiny, taking it on, and trans assimilating it into your life will allow you to understand what that song is, and you will be able to sing it. You're not alone. There's angels involved helping out. And people say, What are all these UFOs and what are all these ziths? What are all these things that people are seeing? Well, in verse 6 of chapter 14, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. There's all kinds of them there flying in the midst of heaven. And this one it says, Having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people. Those flying ziths and, and zooks, and, and planet are on a mission. And that mission has a message. And the only ones that are going to be able to help people to f- see this message are those people who understand the revelation in chapter Revelation verse 1, 19 when God told John to write the things which were Past and present and future. That it has to be the full alpha omega contingency. That which was, that which is, and that which is to come. And and any prophet that cannot see into the past and only exhorts about the present time, and talks about maybe sometimes a prediction or for the future. They're just prophets. They're not seers. It takes a seer to look back in time. And those are the ones that the Bible says are going to have the the ability, and it's going to be revealed to them, going to be revealed to them, the seven thunders. Because it said that is something that is revealed to the prophets. Those things were revealed to the prophets before they became friends. With, with the Christ Spirit. The Bible teaches us that Jesus said to His disciples, I no longer call you si- servants because the servant does not know what the master of the house does. Therefore, from now on, I am calling you friends because the friends know what the master is doing. And so, we have come through the servanthood Of being servants. And we have moved into this next order of being friends. And in this friendship, the Lord is sharing with the seers these incredible mystique and incredible deep revelatory things. Because we become friends of the Lord. Wow. Now let's go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 8. And it shall be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, and he awaketh, his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint. And his soul hath the appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. <laughs> it's Mount Zion thing's incredible. And because Mount Zion with a Z in Jerusalem is a proxy for Mount Zion with an S, which is the which is Mount Hermon, They are parallel. They are one representing the other. And that's why the message from Isaiah is Ariel, Ariel, to both of them. Because they are connected. Now, these incredible forces that Satan is going to create... The Lord is going to use a method of delusion upon them. And they will believe that they're doing the job for Satan they're supposed to be doing, but it'll be like a dream. <clears throat> it'll be like a dream when a person dreams, and in his dream he eats, but when he wakes, he's still hungry, and nothing's happened. Or he's thirsty and, and he drinks, but when he wakes, he's still thirsty and faint. And it says that's how it's going to be to them because that's the the force and the power that the angels of God are going to put on them to put them into a delusion. And it says so that the multitude of all the nations will be that way that fight against Mount Zion. And they're going to go into a drunkenness. Stay yourselves in wonder. Cry out. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. Now, when he changes it to you instead of these multitudes, he is showing you by that connection that the human spirit is going to be involved in the valley of decision. Which valley of decision is where the Armageddon of all the nations will face one another. And all the forces of the principality of darkness will face one another. And all all human beings, whether they are right there that day, on that spot, will still be incorporated into it because it's a world effect. Now, someone says, where are you coming from? Where, Where are you getting the the scripture for such a crazy thing to show that Lucifer is going into hell and doing that. Well, why don't I read it to you? Would that help you? Turn to the 14th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 14. And here's what it says in Isaiah 14, starting with verse 6, and it's talking about the king of Babylon, who is, uh, and 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 the king of Tyre, whose metaphor, as Lucifer, which it clearly explains that it is Lucifer in the twelfth verse by saying, "How art thou, fa- how how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning." So we see what the subject is. Now, in the eighth verse, or the, the sixth verse rather, speaks about Lucifer as being the person who spoke smote the people in wrath with a continuous stroke. It's like taking a pickaxe and just tapping on a big, huge rock that looks like you could never break it up, but just with a continuous stroke, without stopping, sooner or later, a big crack comes and begins to fall apart. That's a method that Satan uses. And he smote the people with wrath with a continuous stroke, He that rude the nations in anger is persecuted and unhindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. And the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. Okay, here we go. Here's when the, the whisper, the whisper of Satan, begins to take place when he goes into hell. It says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Now, they do have a question. They do have a question. And what is that question? Well, what that question is, is they see Lucifer coming in a photo translation and they see that Lucifer has taken on a physical body. And they are really confused about that because they know how interference, interf- how interfering. It is for a person's spirit to be trapped in the body of the human flesh. But what they don't know is that this is a special a body. It's a—it's not just an android. It's more than that. But it is a laminated body. And the name of that laminated body is Cosmocrater. And if you want to, you know, look up. Information on that, you can. There is information about the Cosmocrator in Strong's Concordance. And you can look that up for yourself. K-O-S-M-O-C-R-A-T-O-R, Cosmocrator. And I'll be getting more information to you on that. But what the name means is world leader. World leader. So hell has come up to meet this cosmocrater who they know is Lucifer Satan. And their question is, well, have you become like one of us? Because That whole thing about being in the human body was caused us to be weak. We couldn't use the power of our spirit in the way we once were able to. Well, he proves to them that he is not affected that way. He proves that to them. And it's just absolutely incredible when that is understood. Just absolutely incredible. And we're going to get into some. Just almost beyond belief things. And I just hope we have the time to do it. And it looks like we do. Because. It's so exciting. So awesome. Wow. And we're going to show you some other examples. About when one door is open. It opens another door. And how that. This is what Lucifer Satan does when he goes into hell and when he uh, does the wormwood into the Alpha Ages. We're going to show you scripture for all of this. Lord willing and Lord give me the time here. We don't finish it tonight. We will come back. We will not uh, be defeated by a little bit of time because there's too much at stake here. Way too much at stake. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, so now we're, we've got the scripture where we see that that his pomp went down to the grave. Isaiah fourteen eleven, and the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Isaiah, here seeing these things, did not understand that that was part of the method that Lucifer was using. Even Jesus referred to this thing about worms. And in more than one scripture, he referred to where the worm dieth not. Jesus understood that. He understood that out of hell thing, too. Because he was involved in loosing those spirits out of hell, where the worm dieth not. But Lucifer got into this worm thing in a special penetrating kind of way. which caused the density to open to it. Which is quite a complicated technical story to tell and way too scientific and too deep and involved to add on to this teaching tonight. But perhaps in the future, I will be able to do that. It is all extremely interesting. Now the Cosmocrater, if you want to look that up in the dictionary, Strong's Greek concordance. Turn to 2888. 2888. The Greek Dictionary Concordance. And you'll see cosmocrator as a world ruler connected with Satan. It's in the book. Just take a look. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Now, let's go on and let's look at um, in um, Ezekiel. And if I can, if I think it's Ezekiel twenty-eight. And here, uh, we see that, uh, that Lucifer represented as a man is prophesied about, and it tells in the 26th chapter in the 19th verse that this island of Tyre where Lucifer is going to set up the new United Nations off the coast of Lebanon says, I will bring up the deep upon thee. Great waters shall cover thee. And when I shall bring thee down with them that descend into the pit with the people of old time and shall set thee in the low parts of the earth in the desolate places of old with them that go down to the pit and I shall set glory in the land of the living but then what does it say? I will make thee a tear. It's going to be a tear but then after that Something's going to happen, and the manifest tells the story. I'll not be getting into it tonight. Thou shalt be no more. Though thou be sought for, yet thou shalt never be found again, saith the Lord God. And this is because of the of the laws that he broke when he went into the into the alpha ages, especially. Wow. Now, back to the 28th chapter. We note that in the 28th chapter, verse 2, Son of man, say thou to the prince of Tyrus. Now, the word Tyrus and Tyre mean rock. And I preach this to you, how that there are two different rocks. There is the rock of ages, and there is the rock of Satan. And that's in the Bible. The two different rocks. And I preached and gave you the scriptures in other uh, sermons and teachings. And so, being the prince of Tyrus is connected to the, being the prince of that, of that rock. Which is the parallel world. The holy rock, the evil rock. And your heart was lifted up. Verse 2. Chapter 28. And you said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God. Yet thou art a man, and not God. Though thou set thy heart as the heart of God. Now we see by this scripture that he has become a man. There are other scriptures. I won't have the time to look them all up. Verse 9. Same chapter. Book. Wilt thou say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt Be a man. That's a prophecy. Thou shalt be a man. And no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths. Not one death. Deaths. Of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers. Many deaths. Many people being involved in it. Wow. Wow. Well, who is this person? Verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation on the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord of, of, of Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum. You're at the top of the list. You seal it up. Up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You've been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle. And gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, thy tabrets of thy pipes, which prepared thee in the days thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Where do you think that was? (laughs) Mount Hermon. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. Ladies and gentlemen, I've verified forensically the story of Lucifer becoming a man. Lucifer going into hell. Now when Lucifer is put into this pit the first time, I've read you the scriptures, I've done the teaching. He has given the key to the bottomless pit. He can go and come anywhere within the bottomless pit, which is not the earth, but is space. And he does his creating, as I've done teachings, within the perimeter of that space of the heavens, especially in this galaxy. Now, what are some of the things? that are going to happen? What are some of the things that are going to be done? Well, let's get back over to um, Isaiah 29. And before I get into those, let me get into, the, into some more parallels. Verse 12 in the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, saith, I am not learned. We see that some of these people that have become demonized, the Satan is not interested in teaching them anything but a one-track contract to do his bidding. And all they need to know is this one thing, and he's not interested in them reading the holy book. But he makes note that even among those people there are those, verse 13, that say things like they want to believe, that say they want to honor God, but truly their their heart is far removed from God, verse 13. He says, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous thing, a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Now get a hold of this next verse, verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. The counsel, of course, is Satan's seven anti-spirits of God, which I've told you about in other teachings. And Satan, the satanic trinity included And they get counsel, but it's a secret because it is all part of the whisper of Satan. Said, Woe to you! That's the same woe that it starts out with, that the first verse of the first part of chapter 29. Woe! To Ariel, to Ariel, woe! We got the woe here again. To them that seek deep, they go deep, they go deep into the, like that whisper into the dust to hide their their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark and they say who seeth us and who knoweth us now get a hold of this next verse surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay for shall the works say of him that made it He made me not or shall the thing framed say of him that framed me it has no understanding. Now I'm going to take the time to explain this particular verse because I know there are some people out there that teach that this verse is about Peter when he was turned upside down and crucified upside down. And that this revelation about the the potter's clay is the mystery of iniquity mentioned in Thessalonians that will one day be revealed. And that's all tied into this thing with Peter. And I want to show that that is not the case. But first, I want to show you how people say, well, does it say anywhere in the Bible that Peter was crucified upside down? Uh, Yes, it does. Some people say, no, no, it doesn't. That's only in tradition, and that's only quoted by some of the Catholic uh, writers who have written in ancient Christian literature that that was what happened to Peter. Well, I'm sorry, but you're not correct. So I'm going to take you over to the story and I'm going to read it to you and interpret it so that you'll know that it actually is in the book the Gospel of John if you'll turn there please. And this is a really real treat for you people because I don't think anyone on earth has ever told you this before. But I can guarantee that. Now Jesus is talking to Simon the son of Jonas which is Peter. Verse 17 of chapter 21 of of the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 17. And he saith unto, unto him the third time, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, now get get a hold of this one, get a hold of it, hang and hold it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walketh whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall girt thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now listen to this, verse 19. This spake he signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. So this thing that he said in verse 18 was a description of the kind of death that he would die. Now, when we go into the Greek and we look at the word girt girt or girdeth, in the Greek concordance, and we follow the root by following the root in greek the strong's concordance we start with 22 24 in that verse it it refers to the root continuum of 22 23 in that verse it can it refers to the additional root continuum Twenty two eighteen, and when you get to twenty two eighteen, you get into a beam that is like a balance, and you get into this like this yoke beam very, very, very interesting What I'm getting ready to share with you. Very interesting. And when you put this into perspective upon the cross, you have the cross with the cross piece going across, and the right and left foot are belted, because this is all part of the word girth. It includes the belt. It includes the scale the, of, the ba- of balances. It includes the cross beam and this heavy wood yoke piece. I'll, I'll conclude it in that word. And hang and hold. You've got the right and left foot tied on the cross piece of the cross. The body comes down. The hands of Peter are spread out onto the yoke, this wooden crossbar piece yoke, and tied on each side of that yoke piece. And in a, a system of weight and balances where you have your scale. You have a cross piece and then you have the line that comes down to the scale. Sometimes it can be just one scale that if it's more weight on one side it tips to the right or to the left. Or it can be two scales. One bouncing the other and one side coming down on the other. You have the perfect image there if you look at it of his head and 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 torso down into this scale scenario. And so when Jesus said this, when the Bible says this Jesus spake, signifying, signifying, which means, comes from the word sign. There's a code. There's a sign. And it's signifying. Not describing exact word by exact word, but signifying by what death he should he should die, you have the signification in this root reference from the word girdeth, which means all these things that I have just said. And so we do see where the Bible is teaching that Peter, when he was old, was crucified upside down on the cross. Now let's go back to the book of Of Isaiah 29. What is it talking about when it says in verse 16? Surely your turning of things upside down should be esteemed as a potter's clay. For should the work say to him who made it, He made me not, or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding? This is referring to verse 15, which says, Woe unto them that seek to hide Their counsel from the Lord. The Lord who was the potter who made them. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us and who knoweth us? Verse 16 is an explanation of verse 15. Now, in verse 17, we get into a little different thing where the Lord now is setting aside all this story. And he's saying... You know, there's going to come a good time, people. All of these things are scary. They're dark. They're wearisome. They're threatening. But there is coming a good time, uh, like a, a fruitful field and a, an incredible forest, like, like you see in Lebanon, verse 18. And in that day, when all this fruitfulness and blessingness is happening, in that day, shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall be uh, shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness, and the meek shall increase in their joy. And it goes on and on and on in that. And then I'd like to read the last verse, verse twenty four. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. There are people, ladies and gentlemen, that have erred in spirit, in their things they teach. And there are people that have been murmurers and have complained about the Word of God and about their life and how they feel it has not been given the attention by God. But they have erred in all these things that they're believing But the Bible says the day is coming that they also uh, who have erred in spirit shall come to understand. They're going to come to understanding. And they that murmured shall learn doctrine. There are great days ahead. Great days ahead. Now, I want to get into this thing which is the whisper of Satan. And what all it involves with these people who are going to be brought up from hell. But first, we want to talk about the two doors. The examples of what happens on one side can happen on the other side. And so we're going to show you some of these things. And uh, (laughs) you will find it extremely, extremely interesting. Extremely interesting. So. We're going to start off uh, by talking about uh, transfers. Turn with me to uh, Corinthians four six. First, Corinthians four six, and this is just in a very simplistic way to show you that Paul even understood this thing about being able to do transfers. So in First Corinthians. Let me read and share this with you. 4, 4th chapter, the 6th verse. And these things, brethren, let me go up, let me read verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart and then Shall every man have praise of God? Doesn't that go along with chapter 29 in those scriptures I was reading? Like over there in verses uh, 15 and 16. Now listen to this, verse 6. And these things, brother, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us Not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for the one against another. Now we see that it was a ministry in modern times to be able to understand the power of transfer. And two of the greatest ministries of of the dispensation in which Paul and Apollos lived, actually was Paul and Apollos. And they were involved in this transfer. They were involved in in the power that that has. Now, turn with me to Numbers 27. Back in the Old Testament, to the book of Numbers 27. And let's look at another transfer. Numbers 27. 27 verse uh, 20. Now, Moses is to set Eleazar the priest before all the congregation and give him a charge in their sight. That's chapter 27, verse 19 of Numbers. And then in verse 20, And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. This isn't just saying, Okay, well, we're going to give him credit for doing some of the honorable things that Moses did. This is talking about a genuine transfer of the kind of mind, the kind of nobility, the kind of enriched thought that Moses had being transferred to Eleazar the priest so that his acts would include natural acts imbued in him by this transfer of honor. His Bible, ladies and gentlemen. It goes along with the Corinthians revelation. But we're not done. Let's go on on beyond that. While you're in Numbers, go backwards to Numbers 11. Number 11. And we want to really share this because it is quite neat. Numbers 11, verse 16. Numbers 11, chapter 11, verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel. Gather unto me the seventy elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, And bring them into the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with me. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee. And I will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not by thyself alone. Verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, gathered seventy men of the elders of the people, set them around about the tabernacle, and the Lord came down in a cloud, in a zith, and spake unto him, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, upon Moses, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, and they did not cease. And there remained two of the men in the camp. El Dad and Medad. And the Spirit also rested upon them. Wow. That's transfer of honor, transfer of the Spirit, transfer in ministry. Now when one door is opened, that opens another door. Now, what Satan does is he transfers his spirit. He transfers his spirit, not all of it, but portions of it, and he charges these spirits. He gives them this dust that creates this new body, new bodies for them, and then he charges them with his spirit. Someone says, ah, there's no scripture for anything like that. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Turn to, to Revelations 13. And this is just part of it. I don't have time to go into all the scriptures. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Revelations 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, upon the sand of the sea, the dust, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion. Keep that in mind, lion. And the dragon, and if you look up in the scripture in Revelations, Lucifer, Satan, is that serpent and dragon. And the dragon gave him his power and His seat, and great authority. Now there you have the transfer by the Bible of the power, and the seat, and the great authority. Not all of it, but portions of it transferred to this creature coming up out of the deep, out of the depths. Come on, people. You're being given revelation here. You should just be praising God. You should be glorifying God. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, I'm not through showing you comparatives. I want you to turn with me now to Second Samuel 23. This is an incredible show that I'm going to give you. Second Samuel 23. Because this is awesome. It's a little different side to it, but it's still, you know, it's still there. Now, when when David be, began to become a leader of Israel and was being set up for his kingship. God began to deal with him and anointed him of the God of Jacob, as it speaks in 23, verse 1. And he began to cause there to be a gathering unto David. And in verse 8 it begins to tell about these particular people which beyond a question or a shadow of doubt they weren't just men. They were supermen. There's not an awful lot of difference between these men and the supermen that is shown in the movies. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had the Tejmanite, that set the seat chief among the captains. The same was Adido, the Aznite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. 800 Philistines he slew at one time. Eight hundred Philistines. Is that true or is it a lie? If we're going to believe the Bible, we have to believe it's true. If you believe it's true, then you have to understand, he was a superman. He was not a normal human being. He had strength beyond anything that could even be imagined. At one time, he slew eight hundred Philistines. Eight hundred. You got any idea how many that would be? You ever watch any of these these wrestling and boxing and see how tired these tired these these uh, contestants get in just a short while and that's just fighting one other man this man took on 800 Philistines at one time and he slew them after him was Eleazar the son of Dodo a, a whole night or hohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. The army of Israel wasn't even there. There was just these this little group of a few men. But they were the supermen. And he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, And his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. Wow. And it just goes on. I don't even have the time to read all these stories about these incredible supermen. But there's an interesting one in verse 20. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, of, a, of a, a valiant man, of Kabziel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. And someone would say, yeah, okay, but, you know, that don't prove too much to me. We don't really know what two lion-like men were. Well, it wants to emphasize it. So it says, After he had slain the two lion-like men of Moab, he went down also and slew a lion, a real lion, in the midst of a pit (laughs) in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, means someone that really was good with a weapon. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff, and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and slew him with his own spear. There was 37 in all of these supermen. 37. 37. Now, you need to know and understand a door is open there. God endowed those men to be supermen. And we're not even being told in a broken-down fashion of all the incredible things that they did, of how high they could leap, of all the things they could do. But if you read the story in Joel, which I'm going to turn to right now because there's a little portion there that we should just read. In Joel chapter 2, it talks about, in verse 2, the middle part, about a great people and a strong. It said, there's never been anything like it. This is a prophecy. Never ever happened before. Even take all the supermen that David had, they don't compare to these. Because there's never ever been anything like it. And there's never ever going to be anything like it for any more after that. Even to the years of many generations. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and horsemen so shall they run. Now we're talking about a combination of these people from hell and the mantis androids. And when you read in the description of the scorpion people, the mandroids, and and these mantis, that's what it talks like, you know, about the horses, which basically is just talking about the, the engine power of the craft that they're in. And it says, they can run. With incredible speeds. Not like any human. Like the noise of chariots on the top of mountains. Shall they leap? Superman? Leaping from one hill to another? Using an unknown type of levitation for our day in which they will become airbound instead of earthbound, and leap from one mountain to another, and move with such speed and such force that it be like the noise of the flame of fire. Said so before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces will gather blackness when people see this kind these kind of supermen. there's not going to be anyone very many people are going to feel like going out there challenging them. No regular human going to feel like they can do much anything. They shall run verse seven, like mighty men, mighty men, supermen. they shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march, every one in his ways. They shall not break their ranks. Neither shall they thrust one another. They're going to be in union. They're going to to be in harmony together. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter in the windows like a thief, and the earth shall quake before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon be dark, and the stars withdraw their shining. You're talking about it's never been anything like this, it says. This is part of this group from hell. Along with mantis and, uh, you know, androids. There's a great war coming. Yes, there's a war going on now, but these things aren't happening. And there's scripture that show that some of these won't happen until the end of the times. I don't have... I don't have the time tonight to get into that. But those lion like men it mentions is of course second Samuel twenty three thirty that they that they destroyed. Now we can't judge when it comes to this thing about salvation. We can't judge. And I want to give you some Examples here, you know, because I think this just has to go along with this teaching. There was a a king who was off the uh, uh, offspring of David. His name was Manasseh. He started being a king when he was very young, I think 12 years old. But he became very, very evil. He did evil things. He even begin to worship false gods and he sacrificed his own son to the fire of the idol well in 2nd chronicles 33 verses 11 through 13 Second chronicles 33 verses 11 through 13 it says that an army came in and and captured the city and took him prisoner. And they dealt pretty harshly with him. And when they did, the Bible says that Manasseh began to seriously repent and turn to God and ask God for forgiveness and mercy. And guess what? God forgave him and set him free from his captives and caused them to bring him back and set him up in the throneship again in Israel. You just can't judge people. What God does. Why he does it. How he does it. Because he knows everyone's believing. That no one else knows. Now. Let me look at this and see if this is the right. Scripture here in First Chronicles ten thirteen. I want to read something very different, and there will be some of you that will really hang into this. Yeah, cha- First Chronicles chapter ten. Now Saul had gone to the witch, or the witch, but she wasn't called a witch, but she was called the woman with familiar spirits. And inquired about Samuel. Samuel came up. And there's other things that he did. But listen to what it says in chapter 10 of 1st Chronicles, verse 13. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. Now, I hope you got what it said. It didn't say Saul died because. It said Saul died for his transgressions. Saul died for his transgressions. Like Jesus died for our sins, Saul died for his own transgressions that was the price that he had to pay Saul died for his transgressions which included not keeping the word of god not obeying the the prophecies that he was given by samuel and going to this woman with a familiar spirit he died because of that and for that he died for his transgressions we cannot judge We cannot judge. We can't judge Manasseh. We can't judge Saul. We just can't. And there are many, many other examples. Like the one in Romans 11.26. I believe that's the right one. That says, And so all Israel will be saved. So there are incredible things going on, all these transfers, all this incredible evil plot that is being put together for the ultimate war of all wars. And there is involved this proxy of the Zions and there there are these forces facing each other in the spiritual dimension using that particular location as a special location that has significance of dimension that people couldn't even dream about. The door was open for mighty men, supermen, and Satan is going to open that door for the things he's doing. And there are scriptures that talk about the lion type of thing. And they're all connected. There are scriptures in Revelation, which talks about the teeth and the head of the lions of these evil forces. Because there is sown into this all this plot of the whisper of Satan. And we can't even begin to imagine the trembling and the awesomeness that some day will come. The war goes on and on. But one day hell is coming up to meet the whisperer. But I want to tell you that just like with Elisha, as I close this, there are the good angels. In Exodus 14:14 14, 14 it says, The Lord shall fight for you. In Deuteronomy 9, 3, it says, The Lord goes before you as a consuming fire. To destroy the giants and to bring them down is what it was the subject was about. Exodus 23, 20 and 23 says the angel will go before Israel and Moses. Exodus 34, 24 says I will cast out the nations before you. Exodus 33, 2 says an angel shall come to drive out a whole group of nations. On and on and on. The whisper of Satan will be immense and vast and powerful. But the insight of the friends of God, they will open the book of books. They will read words so powerful that it will melt steel like it were ice. Do not turn to fear in these kind of revelations, but turn to praise of God, knowing and believing that God is standing by us. He is our our staff and our rod of salvation. Though thousands fall on one side or the other, We must not fear, for God is with us. I want to direct my prayer tonight, that usually I direct for people that need healing, for the 11 million starving Somalians that have fled to Kenya, but there's still no food there to speak of at all. And they are starving to death by the millions. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Reach out with your love and your mercy to these starving millions. Cause people around the world to be moved with compassion and urgency that these lives might be saved, that they must not suffer and die of starvation. Your mercy, O Lord, we plead for. And we thank you And we glorify your name. God bless you. We love you. Amen.